Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from Bob Hope Burbank Airport in Burbank, California, the birthplace of former California Angels third baseman Doug DeSenses. He wasn't born in the airport, but he was born here in the Bank of Burr. Hey, um, this is according to the PA that pops up here every now and again, the gateway to Hollywood and the place where you see the stars. When you walk here, there's a gift shop here where there's all these things about Hollywood this, Hollywood that, pictures of stars here, pictures of stars that. I have to say, I fly in and out of Burbank more often than I care to admit. I am so glad that I fly in and out of Burbank and it's convenient to my flights, which is basically from Pasadena to the Silicon Valley. And if I had to fly out of LAX to SFO, which is San Francisco Airport, Los Angeles International Airport, to San Francisco International Airport, forget it, forget it. I'd light myself on fire because first of all, LAX is this horrible, just maze of anger and anguish. You, when you're in that much of a labyrinth, I demand that it include David Bowie and a bunch of goblins because without that, it's just awful. It's just, you know, you have to go down here, you have to walk down there, you're in this line, that line leads to this. In Burbank, it's like a bus stop. The Burbank Airport is a bus stop. There's just, there's one guy named Clyde. You walk past it, hey, Sully, yeah, your plane's there. And you walk in, you're, you're sitting on the plane. The plane is sitting there in the gift shop. That's how small it is. And San Jose, while it's a tiny bit bigger than the Burbank Airport, it's still really convenient. You walk in, hey, you're in there, hey, you're out. Next thing you know, you're in your car and you're heading back to your house. So I, the, the fact that this is the two airports that I go to is, uh, is a bloody miracle because I've been, uh, your pal Sully has been to many, many airports. And some of them are like, you know, when you're in Melbourne, Florida, the, the airport is, you know, is a, an RV and a guy with a metal detector that you see at the beach and you just walk past him and he gives you, okay, get on the plane. And you get on the plane and they, you sit down and you have to put the goggles on as you're on the plane because you don't want the dust to fly in your eyes while you're up in the air. You know, Spokane Airport is, uh, you know, as big as your typical international house of pancakes. But some other airports are just, oh man, Heathrow Airport, where I was at recently, JFK Airport, where I'm going to soon, Logan Airport, just, just behemoths. And quite frank, and you know what, Oakland Airport is pretty spread out too, in a way that I don't quite understand. I just love these just simple airports. Take my shoes off, put my shoes back on, sit on my little seat, get ready for the flight. And I'm here, which is at the gateway to the stars. Luscious, scenic, beautiful Burbank, California. You know, stars is going to be the topic of this podcast today because it's something I'm thinking about, especially as we're seeing this NBA final. Your pal Sully is a, obviously I'm an out-of-my-mind, need-help-from-a-doctor-level baseball fan, 
but also I, I like the NBA. I used to be a huge NBA fan, but I still like the NBA. And despite the fact that I spend a lot of my time in the Silicon Valley, uh, and and I you know and I think it's really great what the Warriors have done, I am indeed rooting for the Cleveland Cavaliers in this NBA final because, as I've stated over and over and over again, the city of Cleveland needs a proverbial hug. They need a hug. They need a championship of some kind. And one of the three major championships, I know that they've, they've won some, there's some championship that they've won. I don't remember what it is. Please forgive me. I don't remember what other league it is. But one of the major sports, basketball, hockey, football, baseball, you know, they no longer have the Cleveland Barons, so hockey's out of the question. And so they haven't won anything since 1964. And so I am rooting for the Cleveland Cavaliers so the city of Cleveland can have that title. And I also think there would be a nice ending for the LeBron narrative. I think the LeBron narrative of the fact that people still bring up the decision and all that other stuff, you know, I, I, I'm like, it's, it's been a while and he's come back to Cleveland, and if he delivers a title to Cleveland, I think that's the, that's the end of his narrative, and I don't think anyone could say anything. There's nothing more you could say that's bad against him. Oh, someone will. He's not Jordan who is. Knock it off. I actually heard, heard someone say that. I heard someone who was uh, talking disparagingly about um, Kobe Bryant and LeBron James and said, you know, if they were better teammates, if they weren't so selfish, they would have had more success in the finals. They would have had more championships. And I stopped and I said, wait a minute. LeBron James has been in six straight finals, and he's won two of them. He's been in seven overall. And, and, and Kobe Bryant was in how many? Seven finals? They won five of them? He was the MVP of two? I mean, what, what kind of tough crowd are we talking about? That those, that's considered failing in the finals? Oh, that's right, compared to Jordan. But I was thinking about something. This NBA final, right, this is getting to, I'm tying this to baseball, so don't worry, those of you who thought you had stumbled into Sully basketball. This NBA final is, by all accounts, Curry versus LeBron, the rematch. That's what it is. Oh, there are other people, there are other, you know, Thompson and Love and all these players who are on the teams. And it is a team game, and it is Golden State, and the Silicon Valley, and the San Francisco Bay Area versus Cleveland, and all that stuff. But when it comes down to brass tacks, it really is the stars, the big marquee star, LeBron versus Curry. And that star power is really what has fueled the NBA Finals pretty much since... I'll say since the revitalization of the league in 1980. And that, that's what gave basketball its great revitalization. Now, granted, the, the way that the media and, and sports are covered now, as opposed to the early 1980s when basketball got off the mat and became the great popular sport, is, is almost unrecognizable now. I mean, they, when the... Lakers beat the 76ers in 1980, and Magic Johnson took Kareem's place and played center in that game in Philadelphia. That game was on tape delay. That game wasn't shown live nationally, and that's unheard of now. Can you imagine that? An NBA Finals game not being shown live? But that's what was 
the fact of the media at that point. But at that point, it started to explode. The popularity of basketball started to explode. Now, it helped that you had two unbelievably charismatic stars in Bird and Magic going to opposite ends of the country to two storied franchises that became great bitter rivals and equals, like the, the Celtics and the Lakers were each other's equal during the 1980s. And it seemed like they played each other in the finals every year, even though they only faced off three times. It seems like they faced off more than that. But when you stop and think about every NBA final since then, it almost always is a talk of the matchup of the stars. And this is something I think baseball has missed the boat on. And I think this is an example of everything in the universe being a chain reaction and the effects of decisions made 20, 30 years ago can be still felt and may take a long time to reverse course. The NBA's popularity was in the cesspool. By the end of, at the beginning of the 1980s, by the end of the 1980s, the popularity was through the roof. By the mid-1990s, it, it had skyrocketed. And a huge reason was the promotion of the stars. Stars. You can't think of an NBA final without thinking of the stars that are attached to it. Whether it's Shaq, whether it's Jordan, whether it's Barkley in that one final that he played in. You think about all the championships, whether it's Duncan, whether it's Kobe, whether it's Paul Pierce, whether it's uh, Dirk Nowitzki, whether it's Dwayne Wade, whether it's LeBron. And you almost think of the star ahead of the team or the city that they play for. I mean, what I just said a few minutes ago, LeBron has played in the last six NBA Finals. He's done so with two different franchises. He's done it with Miami and with Cleveland. But in a way, he has taken, it's not necessarily think, well, the Heat won those years and then the Cavaliers won those years. No, it's, this was the star. He just wore a different shirt for the last two years. When you think about the years that the Lakers won the titles at the beginning of the 2000s, and then the Heat won the title in 2006, look who's Shaq. Shaq won those titles in L.A., and Shaq came to Miami and brought a title to Miami, but it was Shaq who did it. It wasn't necessarily thought of, well, the Lakers had those great years, and oh my goodness, then it became then the Miami Heat. With the exception of Wade, I don't really connect the Shaq team with a LeBron team, but it's the same franchise. Now, what, why did this happen in basketball and it's not happened in baseball? I mean, it is possible to have a player become a dynamic superstar on a team in baseball. It may be in a slightly different way than in basketball, like you can't always pass it to one player, but also you can't have a championship team with just one great player on it. I mean, you had LeBron missing the, you know, the finals all those years when he was on lousy Cavalier teams. You had Jordan not being able to make it to the way. He had a great supporting cast around him. You had Kobe when he was, some of the years he was playing well, couldn't make it to the finals because he didn't have the team around him. 
So it's not always just about one superstar carrying it to them, even though that's the narrative. But in baseball, you could have a great star. Why isn't it that we look at a team, when you look at the teams who play in the, in the, the World Series and play in the playoffs, why isn't it the facing off of the superstars in the same way that it is in basketball? I think a part of this, you have to go back to that era. When did basketball make that decision? When Stern was commissioner in the 80s, saw the league was in just terrible shape, it became a star-driven league. It became Magic versus Bird. What was happening at that same time in baseball? Tons of labor strife. Tons of contention. Tons of anger between the owners and the players. You had between 1981 and 1994, in that same stretch as I was saying, when you had the rise of Magic and Bird, the rise of Jordan, in that same stretch of time, you had labor stoppages in baseball in 1981, a one-game labor stoppage in 1985, nearly a, stop, uh, a labor stoppage in 1990, and the devastating strike of 1994, which led to the lockout of 1995. At that time, the owners and the players were at each other's throats, and it became clear to the owners that it was in their financial well-being to denigrate, to belittle, to insult, and to degrade the value of the players because they didn't want them to get rich. They didn't want them to have free agency. They didn't want them to have control. They wanted to bring them down. And even as, it, as the popularity of the NBA was skyrocketing in the mid-1990s, the owners during the lockout of 1995 locked the players out of spring training and brought in replacement players, literally saying, we can get people off the street to do your job. Can you imagine that in the NBA? Can you imagine them going to high school gymnasiums and the courts alongside West 3rd Street and, and 6th Avenue in New York and say, hey, hey, how'd you like to be on the Knicks? Okay, well, maybe some of them could have made the Knicks this year. No, but that's what baseball did. They opened spring training up. I was, in 1995, I was 23 years old, and there was a tiny part of me that thought, hey, I should get my glove, head down to spring training, and try out. The fact that I, someone like me would think something like that outside the boundaries of an insane asylum shows what level the player-owner relationship fell in the 1980s and into the 1990s. And we're seeing the effect of that. We're seeing the effect of one league saying, we're going to promote our stars. We're going to build this franchise, franchises and the league on the backs of the stars, as opposed to, we're going to crush the players. We're going to bring them down. That isn't to say there wasn't lots of acrimony between the owners and the players in the NBA. I mean, we saw this turn into a lockout in 1994. I'm sorry, 1999. That isn't to say that owners were drooling to pay players millions and millions of dollars or give them tons of control. 
or some of the players got too much control, as we saw an entire generation of superstars in the mid to late 1990s not blossom into the great players that people were hoping they'd be. But that being said, how would baseball be different if there wasn't so much acrimony? How would baseball be different if there wasn't collusion? If there weren't owners working to break the players, but instead work with them? You know, one of the things that's interesting is that you have a matchup between Golden State and Cleveland that has a tremendous amount of interest. You had a champion, you had a, a conference championship series with a game seven with an absolutely sky high ratings, huge numbers, huge revenues. And who was it between? It was between Golden State, okay, the San Francisco Bay Area, and Oklahoma City. And if the NBA Finals were Cleveland versus Oklahoma City, there would be a huge amount of interest in it. Huge. Now, they do that in football. You can see a team, a small market team, whether it be Indianapolis or Green Bay, become a national team because that's football. And football runs by different rules. But in the NBA, you can have small tiny market teams carry a tremendous amount of star power, interest, ratings. A city like San Antonio could have a dynasty, or as close as a dynasty as they put together. You could have a city like Oklahoma City. You could have Oklahoma City versus Cleveland and have people saying, God, i got to watch that. And why? Because of the star power and because of how the stars have been promoted. Mike Trout could walk down this aisle in Burbank right now, and most people wouldn't know who he was. I'm convinced the same could be said about Buster Posey. I'm convinced the same could be said about most of the big stars in baseball. And I think it's because there is not a culture of promoting the stars in baseball the same way as there is in basketball. Yes, there are individual fans of individual teams, and if it's the local team, yes, you, you know, in the Bay Area, they love their Posey, they love their Bumgarner, they love their Lincecum. They still love their Lincecum, even though he's no longer on the team. Here in L.A., you see lots of Clayton Kershaw shirts, and you, know, and you see Puig and Gonzalez shirts, too, and you go into Orange County, you see a lot of Mike Trout shirts. It's still very regional, but you still see that. But there is no national star that has people's attention, at least not since the retirement of Derek Jeter. I wonder how baseball could be more of either a national game or more people interested in the World Series in the postseason if it became a league of stars. Promote the stars promote the big players, get people super interested in the stars themselves. I like basketball, but basketball is just as interesting as baseball to watch. Yes, basketball moves faster, but quick. What's your favorite highlight of any basketball game before the fourth quarter? All people remember is the fourth quarter. And then any lead can evaporate. You say, well, it looks like the Oklahoma City Thunder are up by 46 points. Yeah, yeah. It'll be, you know, it'll be a close game. You're by the fourth, you're going, man, it's tied. 
So you can do it. You can promote the stars. It's possible. But the problem is the culture needed to take that turn. And it should have taken that turn in the 1980s, when instead they turned away from the stars and basketball turned towards it. I think basketball is a sport that's much easier to compare to baseball than, say, football. For the, same, for the reason I pointed out that football's on once a week. It's a, it's a ratings behemoth. It's, it's almost unfair. It's like trying to compare the Avengers to an art house film. But basketball is almost a daily product, too. It also has a super long regular season. It also has dog days and points where you're going like, oh, man, they're still playing, aren't they, if you're a casual fan. And yet, they can capture people's attention even if it doesn't have the big franchises playing. I heard one point last year that I heard someone say that the possibility of a Kansas City Royals-Pittsburgh Pirates World Series would be a ratings nightmare for Fox. And I thought, why? You'd have two exciting teams filled with homegrown players and fabulous talent, up and down. And for two cities that hadn't had a world championship for decades and playing a fast, good, solid brand of baseball, why is that a nightmare? And the dream is to have the Cubs or the Mets in it and I don't know who they would play. They, they, they get scared if they're playing anyone other than the Red Sox or Yankees. Because they know they can market to Red Sox-Yankee fans. They know they can market to the Cubs and the Mets. But anything beyond that requires effort. It required effort in the NBA, and they made that effort. This is a showing how events decades ago can still be felt. So the new commissioner of baseball has to make this effort. They have stars. They're great stars in baseball right now. They're spectacular stars. And, you know, pointing out the stars from last year, think about, you know, Kane and Hosmer and Gordon on that uh, Kansas City team. Think of McCutcheon on the Pittsburgh team. You try and tell me you couldn't market that if you had people realizing who these stars are? Incredibly likable homegrown stars who stuck with their homegrown team? Man, how could we possibly market that? That would require effort. Mistakes were made decades ago. Now it's time to correct those mistakes and move forward. It's not going to happen overnight. It didn't happen overnight with basketball, but they did fall into having two dynamic stars who made it possible. There are tons of dynamic stars in baseball right now. Make it possible right now, baseball. It takes no effort or energy to market the Red Sox, Cubs, or Yankees in a World Series, or the Mets for that matter. But you've got 26 other teams, and most of them have at least one star that you can say, oh, man, I associate this series with them more than the city. And that's what they should be aiming for, a culture of stars, much like here in Burbank, California. See the up-to-date listings of who owns baseball on MLBReports.com. Go to SullyBaseball.wordpress.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. 
You can be old school, send me an email at info at solidbaseball.com. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kowalski. This has been the Solid Baseball Daily Podcast from Bob Hope, Burbank International Airport. Is that, I think that's all their names. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Hey, I like to think of myself as a star, and you can call me Sullivan.